All right, so if you brought a Bible, I want you to open it up. We're in Matthew 18. I say that every Sunday because I want you to bring your Bible, okay? Um, We actually have a stack of them. We'll start pulling those out here in the next week or two. If you don't have one, we'd love to give you one. Um, But I want you to have it open because today we're not going to read it at the beginning. We're actually going to climb through it together as we go through the message. So we're going to start at verse 21 of Matthew 18. And we're talking about the topic of praying Forgiveness, And I want to start with just a question. Uh, if you follow me on Facebook, you saw that I asked this about a day ago. Um, which is harder for you? And you don't have to answer out loud, but I want you to think about this. Which is harder for you? Is it harder for you to extend forgiveness or is it harder for you to receive forgiveness? Think about that. Is it harder to extend it or is it harder to receive it? I asked this over the weekend and about 40 people responded and I figured as I'm watching the different responses come in, I figured it was going to be like 50-50. But when I added them up, because there was plenty of both sides, what I found was that for every one person that said they struggle with extending forgiveness, there were two people that struggled to receive it. So that means twice as many people struggle to receive it as struggle to extend. And I just thought that was interesting. So just keep that in your mind as you keep your own answer in your mind and you think about what we're going to talk about today. We're talking in our series of prayer. This is our fifth Sunday in this series of prayer. We're talking about forgiveness. And we're doing that with the understanding that we've learned about what prayer is. And I want you to to, to say this out loud with me. This is what we've learned. Prayer connects the present to the eternal. Let's say that again, because I want this to sink in well after the series is done. Prayer connects the present to the eternal. And we're not making this up. This is what Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer. And you know these words too. They come right out of the Gospels. And so let's read these together as well. This is the part we've already covered in this series. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And then this week, we're going to study verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about what it looks like to pray forgiveness the way that Jesus teaches us to pray forgiveness. And it's a very important part of the Lord's Prayer. And I don't say that because I think it. And I don't say that because the other sections are unimportant. But but I say that because right afterwards, it's the only section of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus reiterates. Look at verse 14. He says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now here's what that means. The question that I asked you at the beginning, which one's harder, extending forgiveness or receiving forgiveness? Here's the truth. I kind of tricked you because it's kind of a trick question. (laughs) It's kind of a trick question. So, So here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying That if your struggle is receiving forgiveness, if your struggle is to receive it, he's saying you can't extend it as well as you're supposed to either. And he says the same thing for the other side. If you say my struggle is extending forgiveness, Jesus says, well, then I know that you're also not living to receive it 
the way I've designed you to receive it either. Do you see how this works? The two cannot be disconnected from one another. And then let's make it more complicated, right? Right? Not only that, but the forgiveness that we experience from God is also directly connected to the forgiveness that we extend to others. But it makes sense if you think about what we've learned about prayer, right? Prayer works the same way. We often think, and this is why we're doing this series, we think of prayer as a one-way communication with God. We think about it like a spiritual telegram, right? Like you're just, you're just tapping out your prayers and you're sending it up to the Lord, wherever that might be, and then you wait for a message to come back. But I hope you've learned that that's not what prayer is. That as prayer connects the present with the future, it, it's, not, it's not a one-way conversation, but it's also not a two-way conversation. This part of the Lord's Prayer teaches us that prayer is three ways. Prayer is three ways. God wants us to connect with him as he connects with us and then as we connect with other people. Do you see that? See, Jesus wants to restore everything. He came to restore the world on earth as it is in heaven, right? This is what we pray. And I've told you before, Jesus wouldn't tell you to pray it if God didn't want it for you. And God wouldn't, God can do anything. He can bring this. He can answer this prayer. And so when it comes to forgiveness, here's the thing. God is not only interested in forgiving you between you and him. He wants to restore your relationship with one another. He wants to restore our relationships with each other. And he does that by paving the way through which the way he has forgiven us. Uh, the Apostle Paul explains it this way in Ephesians 4. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as, as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We're called to live out forgiveness in relationship with others in the way that we are living in the forgiveness that we receive from God. That's what Paul is saying. This is to permeate everything in our life. And so with that in mind... If we go back to the Lord's Prayer, I want to ask you this, and this I will ask you to raise your hand on. How many of you have ever prayed for forgiveness and you didn't feel the relief of forgiveness when you were done praying? It didn't feel like it was lifted. How many, how many of you have prayed that prayer? You know, I think that like some of you, if you've been around here for a while, you, you've come through the season of Lent that leads to Easter. And on, on Ash Wednesday, we have a tradition where we write out our sins and then we burn them under the shadow of the cross and it's symbolic, and it reminds us of what Jesus has come to do. And we're walking the path toward that effort, what he's going to do on the cross and what he's going to do on Easter and all of those things. And yet how many of us, if you've been around for more than a year, we come back the next Ash Wednesday, and the same thing we wrote down and burned under this cross the year before is the thing we write down again and again and again. And that's what you do, right? Like, like, if you can't get it off your chest and you've prayed about it, then you just keep praying about it, right? We, we pray and we pray and we pray, but I'm guessing that if you've done that for any length of time, it still doesn't work. And that's where we're going in our reading today in Matthew 18. Jesus is going to show us through the parable of the unforgiving servant why that might be. Why you are not experiencing the forgiveness that God wants to have 
for you and me. But in order to, to see this, we've got to kind of step back. This is why it's important to have your Bible in front of you, um, because I want you to look at just the context of the whole series of teachings that are taking place in Matthew 18. If you look at the very beginning, you'll see that the disciples are asking, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus uses a child to illustrate that the lowly are the greatest in the kingdom of God. That's the beginning of chapter 18. And then after that, he talks about woe to the person who tempts the lowly. The woe to the person that would tempt somebody like that to stray away from God. And then after that, he talks about those who stray as lost sheep. And he says the heart of the shepherd is that if there's a hundred sheep, then one runs away. He will leave the 99 to go find that sheep. And he will bring that sheep back. And they will rejoice when the sheep returns. And then after that, he talks about conflict. And if your brother or sister in the family of God has sinned against you, he gives us explicit instructions on how to handle that. He says, the first thing you do is call your neighbor and gossip about him. I just want to make sure you're listening. It took the la- You're better than the last service. They, it took them a minute. And I was like, okay, let's come back. That's not what Jesus said. You know that, right? He said, go. He said, you have a conflict. Somebody does something to you. If it's safe, if it's not safe, this might not be possible. It doesn't prescribe everything. But the way in which we are reconciled is to go to the person and talk directly to them for the purpose of reconciliation. And if that doesn't work, bring a third party along. And so I'm going to call Ted, and Ted's going to come with me because Ted is going to be bipartisan as we talk and we try to figure it out. Maybe he's going to help, right? Because he's a brother in Christ. And if that doesn't work, you tell the church. You get the whole church involved, right? We don't just pray when babies are born. We come together for conflict for the purpose of reconciliation. And if that doesn't work, then the last thing Jesus says to do is to treat that person like a pagan or a tax collector. And I, for years, I thought, wow, Jesus is calling people names. <laughs> but he's not. And I've preached the wrong sermon on this before, and so i got to apologize because I read that, and I think I've thought for years that's Jesus' way of saying that if you've done all those things, now you get to wash your hands of that person, and you're done. You kick the dust and ignore them for the rest of your life. That's not what this means because guess who Jesus came to save when he came 2,000 years ago? He came to save pagans and tax collectors just like he came to save you and me. And so how do you treat a pagan or a tax collector? There is a separation, right? Because their heart is hardened. And so you pray for them. And you pray that they'll come back. That's what you do. And that's what Jesus says to do. And so he teaches all those things. It's all important because this all leads to what we're about to read here. And so he teaches all of this. And the disciple Peter has been listening intently. I could just imagine that of all the disciples, he has been paying attention like nobody else. And he has noticed something that in all of the teaching about all of this, this lostness and the greatness in the kingdom of God and how to handle conflict, he notices that there's something missing. That Jesus hasn't said something that he is thinking must be critical to all the things that they've been talking about. And so he asked Jesus a question, verse 21. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Now, the reason I took you through chapter 18 is I want you to notice, if you don't believe me, you can look at it yourself. 
Throughout the entire chapter, you will not see a single instance of Jesus speaking of forgiveness. You won't see him talk about forgiveness anywhere in any of those conversations and teachings that have just taken place. And Peter is smart. And Peter has seen sheep that have gotten lost. He's seen them run away. He's seen conflict that goes unresolved. And he knows that so many times the reason that these people don't come back together is because they don't know how to forgive. And he wants to make good on that. He wants to be faithful to all of the teachings of Jesus. And so that's why he asks Jesus, he says, where does forgiveness fit into all of this? How many times am I supposed to forgive? And Jesus says 70 times 7. Now, now, now you think about it. You can understand this in your own relationships. How many times have you ever tried to address a conflict with somebody and you get into an argument? Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your parent, maybe it's your coworker, whatever. And, and you walk away from the argument. You've concluded the argument, right? It's not like storming off, but you finished it. You've come to a conclusion and yet you walk away and you still don't feel like everything's right. How many people experience that? You know what I'm talking about, right? Like everyone experiences that. Don't look too closely at the person sitting next to you, right? I'll tell, I can tell you're experiencing it right now, right? Like we probably are. There's probably somebody in our life that, that we've done that. Now why is that? If you walk away from an argument and you don't feel the resolution, is it because you didn't argue correctly? <laughs> Is it because you should have followed a different protocol in the way in which you use your words? No, that's not what it is. It's not an argument problem. It's a forgiveness problem. It's a forgiveness problem. I can see this in my own life. I can't tell you how many times that I have had an argument with my wife, Alyssa, and I have won the argument. You shouldn't be laughing so much. And things are still not right. Now, I'm telling you this because here's the thing. When Alyssa and I argue... More often than not, I win. I win. And now you're judging me. But it's true. I talk for a living. I think I have a little bit of an upper hand on that. And so, so oftentimes we argue and I win. But here's the thing. Before you judge me too critically, here's the thing. Just because I win an argument does not mean the argument was resolved. And it also doesn't mean that I was right. I can win an argument and be wrong. And let me tell you, the majority of the times, I'm wrong. Very rarely is it her. It's almost always me. And you know what's going to fix that? Is it another round of arguing? Is it Alyssa coming to me and saying, okay, I prepared myself now. I've written out an essay and I have evidence. Now I'm going to convince you, Tom, that you're wrong. Is that really what fixes things? No. The only thing that fixes those things is if she comes to me, or more often if I come to her and say a very simple phrase, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If we say, I am sorry. That's the only thing that's going to fix it. That's the only thing. It's not arguing better. And it isn't just saying you're sorry, but the second part is just as important. It's saying, I forgive you. And that's the thing that's actually hard to do, isn't it? The arguing part is easy. The arguing part is simple. You don't need to hear a sermon about how to argue. I've been spending less time on social media recently. You know why? Because that's so easy to do, you don't even need to be with the person to do it. People are doing it all the time online. But how often do you see them posting on social media their status update, I screwed up, I'm sorry. Have you seen that before? 
I don't think I've seen that. I told the first service, I said, you should flood Facebook this week and you should find arguments and just apologize in them. <laughs> like, I, I think you should. Like, like, we should just do that. Be like, you know what? I'm wrong here and I'm sorry. And just see how people respond. This isn't the hard part. Forgiveness is the hard part. And I know that as a parent, even as toddlers are growing up, we always teach our kids to say, I'm sorry. But we also teach our kids when they're apologized to, they have to say, I forgive you. And you know what? It's actually harder to get the kids to say that than it is to say, I'm sorry. Because you're like, oh, I'm sorry. And then you walk away. I forgive you is harder. Those things are harder. Why is that? Well, it's because when you ask for forgiveness, what you're doing is you're saying, I did something wrong. <laughs> you're admitting that you've done something wrong. And when you receive forgiveness, that's hard too. Because what you're doing is, is you're deciding that you're going to argue wrong. That you're not going to argue correctly anymore, at least according to the world. Because here's the thing. If you say, I forgive you, you're saying, you're, I'm right and you're wrong. You've done something wrong to me. I have the upper hand in this relationship and I refuse to hold that upper hand. I'm going to let it go for the sake of love. I'm going to let it go for the sake of the relationship. I am going to forgive you. And let's be honest, that's really what we struggle with, isn't it? That's the thing that we really struggle with, which is why Jesus' answer to the prayer is that how many times? 70 times 7. Forgive 70 times 7. And then he tells a story that illustrates why? Look at verse 23. This is the scripture reading that we're getting to. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king, a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the man ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him and said, be patient with me. He begged the master, I will pay everything back. And the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let it go. But when the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, this one who owed him a hundred silver coins, he grabbed him, he began to choke him, and he said, pay back what you owe me. And he demanded it. Now, pause here for just a second. This, you first read the story. First of all, it's obnoxious, and Jesus wants it to be. That's his intention. It should be obnoxious. He has just been forgiven 10,000 bags of gold, and he can't forgive his buddy who has, owes him like 100 silver coins, like, like 10 bucks. That's how obnoxious this is. It's crazy. And your eyes are immediately drawn to the crazy guy who's so judgmental, aren't they? Like, we're all judging this guy. He's owed all of this money. He was just forgiven. And now he's not living like it. I mean, just think to yourself. Every time I preach this, I, I kind of cast the same idea, right? Like, just imagine if you have a big loan right now that's out, some kind of debt on your shoulders. And if you don't now, at some point in your life, you probably did. And so I just want you to think about that. Think about a huge mortgage or a credit card debt or a student loan. And let's say it's something that you have trouble paying monthly and you get a statement in the mail that the bank says you got to pay it back right now. When you sign the documents for that loan, we have a clause that says that you have to pay it back if we decide 
in a moment's notice. Tomorrow, you need to come to the bank and have all the money or else. And you can't pay it. And so you go to the bank. And you beg to the bank and say, I can't pay it. I don't know what to do. I don't want you to take my family. I can't pay this back. And the banker looks at you and says, okay, well, then I forgive you. And you say, I forbear you? Like, are you giving me a break? Like, no, I forgive you. The debt is finished. It's gone. It's off your shoulders. If you have debt right now, you're thinking about that. How would you feel? How would you feel? You wouldn't know what to do with yourself. You'd walk out the door, right? You'd throw the doors open. And with the new guidelines, now you'd find the first fully vaccinated person and you'd kiss them, right? Because you can. And you just keep going down the road. You'd be so excited. You wouldn't know what to do with yourself. But that's not what this guy does. It's not what this guy does. You've got to ask, why does he do what he does? He goes on a rampage. And he finds his buddy that owes him 10 bucks. And he starts to strangle him and ask him for the money back right now. Verse 29, his fellow servant fell to his knees, the guy that owes him a very little bit. And he begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Have you heard those words before? But he refused. And instead he went off and, and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay off the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged, and they went, and they told their master everything that happened. What's wrong with this guy? Verse 32. The master called the servant in and said, You wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had had on you? And in anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And then Jesus says, here's the point of this crazy, obnoxious story that I just told you. Verse 35, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, what does this mean? What does this mean? Jesus tells us this story for a reason. And I believe that the reason is the answer to why so many people struggle with forgiveness, whether it's receiving it or extending it. Because here's the one thing nobody said when I asked on Facebook, and I'm sure none of you would say this either. Nobody commented on my question and said, you know what, I actually am really good at both. Nobody said, I don't have any problem extending or receiving. I can do both perfectly. Nobody would say that. We can't. So Jesus gives us the answer why it's hard for all of us, no matter what problem we have. Look back at the way that he tells us to pray. In the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 12, he says this. And why don't you read this with me? He says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, you know this, right? You've probably prayed it since you were a kid, but here's the deal. Practically speaking, when we pray, more often than not, we only pray the first part. We pray, forgive us our debts. If you don't believe me, just think. When you need God's forgiveness and you say it in your own words, how do you pray? Like, do you come before God when you're feeling all this weight of guilt and shame? You've just done something terrible and it's weighing down on you and you say, Lord, will you forgive me? But only forgive me at the same level as I have forgiven my wife this week. Do you ever pray that? No. 
Nobody does that. But that's what he says to do. That's what he says to do. He says that's how you pray for forgiveness. He says, Father, forgive me as much as I have forgiven the people around me. What he's saying is that if you have not forgiven your spouse, if you have not forgiven your ex-spouse, if you have not forgiven your parents, if you have not forgiven your brother, if you have not forgiven your neighbor, if you've not forgiven that dude that cut you off in traffic 25 years ago and he's in your mind and you still haven't forgiven him, he says that you are no different than the servant who got everything forgiven and then went out and choked his friend who owed him 100 bucks. And that sounds harsh, right? Because he's God. And so shouldn't we expect that God does this better than we do? Why is our forgiveness contingent on him? Isn't God better at forgiving than I am? Shouldn't we be able to come before God and receive the free gift of his grace and his forgiveness? Why does forgiveness have to be tied to our ability to forgive others? And here's the truth, okay? In an eternal perspective, it's not. He's already done everything he needs to do. This is not about whether or not you're going to go to heaven or not. You're not going to get to heaven. You're going to be at the pearly gates. And God is going to say, you know, I sent my son 2,000 years ago. But when that guy cut you off in traffic, you didn't forgive him right. And so you're not coming in. <laughs> it's not the way this works. But he wants you to live it. He wants you to live forgiveness. He wants you to experience that. And he doesn't want you to have to wait until you get there to do it. He wants you to experience it now. And so what I always say, and I, every time we preach on this, I, I say the same thing. As long as your hand is clenched around the neck of someone who owes you something, someone who you need to forgive, you can't use it to receive the forgiveness that God has given you right now. Because you're not God. You're human. I'm human. And human hands can only hold one thing at a time. You can't hold two things, and God wants you to hold him. And God wants you to hold his forgiveness. And God wants you to hold his grace. He died to give you that. And he paid that debt to give you that. But he does not just want you to know that. He wants you to live that. He wants you to be and live forgiven. Proverbs 22 says, The rich rule over the poor. The borrower is a slave to the lender. Here's what happened. The master said you're no longer a slave. Jesus said this in other places. He says, I call you friend. That's what this is. You're no longer a slave. You don't have to pay it back. But see, in the story, he didn't feel that way. He never felt the relief. He was still a slave. And it had nothing to do with the master. It had everything to do with him. It's because he would not let go of his friend. He was forgiven. But he was so busy not forgiving his fellow servant that practically speaking, it never mattered. He didn't live the freedom that comes with forgiveness. God wants you to live forgiven. He wants you to live forgiven, which is why he teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, because that's the prayer that leads us to being able to both give and receive forgiveness. And the story that I, I read it, I think I read it once a year, and I need to hear it once a year, that really extends this well is the it's an old fable. It's about the, the, the South Indian monkey trap. Now, I've never been to South India, and I've never tried to catch a monkey, so you're going to have to give the author some credit here, assuming this is the way it works. It says it's actually very easy to catch a monkey in South India. The way that they do it is they, they hollow out 
um, they hollow out a, a, a um, coconut, and they put a hole in it, and the hole is just big enough for a monkey to squeeze its hand to get in there, and then inside of it, they put rice, because apparently monkeys like to eat rice. I didn't know that. And so they grab a handful of rice, and the coconut is tied to a tree, and while their hand is fisted around as much rice as they could possibly get a hold of, it's too large to make it through the hole of the coconut. And so what ends up happening more times than not is they're stuck and the person is able to come back and catch the monkey. Now notice, they're not trapped physically. The monkey is always free. All he has to do is let go. Do you see where this is going? And whenever I talk about forgiveness, I, I have to say this. I could never in one sermon speak into all the different things that we have to forgive others for. I could never speak to all of the circumstances and the ways in which people have hurt us and the reasons that we might have to, to withhold our forgiveness for someone else. And and sometimes, there's, there's kind of two ways this works. Sometimes we don't forgive, and it's not because of that so much as it's because of us. Maybe it was that years ago, but now we're just being stubborn. And, and if that's you, then as, with as much love as I can say this as your pastor, cut it out. Because you're hurting yourself. If that's what you're doing, let it go. But, but for others of us, you've really been hurt. And this is not a sermon on that. And this is not a sermon on conflict resolution. As I said about Matthew 18, sometimes it's not safe to go to the person that's hurt you. And so don't. Sometimes you can't go. I don't want to minimize the things that people have done to hurt you. Jesus isn't telling us to even tell the person that they're forgiven. Look at what he says at the end. In verse 35, he says, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister. Say those last words with me. From your heart. Forgiveness begins in your heart. The person that you need to forgive, they might be dead. It might be a parent. It might be a spouse. It might be a child. It might be somebody that's hurt you, and it's not safe to be with them. And if that's the case, in any of those situations, you're still called to forgive them in your heart, not just for them, but maybe even more importantly, for you. And it pains me to see how many of us come into church, and I do this way more often than I'd like to admit, knowing that we have already been forgiven by the master of the universe, that God has forgiven us of everything, that our debt has been paid free for 2,000 years since Jesus paid it on the cross, and yet we don't walk out the doors of the church pushing the doors wide open, singing and kissing the first person we see. And the reason we don't is not because we don't get it up here. It's because the hand of our heart is still clenched around someone else's neck. We're holding back forgiveness. And so let me call you to let go. Let go. Let go of the rice. Let go. Take it off. Take it out of your hand. Get it out of the trap because that's the only way that you can open it up and receive the forgiveness that our master Father God is ready to give you and me. Because remember, what is prayer? Prayer connects the present to the eternal. And God wants to give us a taste of eternal reconciliation and forgiveness 
between us and one another if we would just let go and forgive so that we might receive. And so I want to pray for that right now. And I want to encourage you just to close your eyes and I want you to think for just a second here about a person that you need to forgive or a person that you need to receive forgiveness from. I, I believe that so many of us walked into the doors of church this morning and before we even heard anything, we had someone in our minds. And so, Jesus, as we come before you now, we bring that situation before you. Lord God, I, I just speak for myself. There's been someone in my heart and in my mind that I have not forgiven for years, and they came to my mind every day this week that I thought about this sermon, and I thought about this prayer, and I thought about asking for my own forgiveness, God. And I'm not ready to forgive them. But I have to. And I know that that same prayer can be prayed by so many people in this room right now. I believe that maybe it's the reason why you've called us together that we might collectively come before you and ask for these things. And so God, I pray and I put this before you and I put before you every instance of forgiveness that we need to extend in this room. And the people that are joining us online, and I pray of every instance of forgiveness that we have been extended to us, the things that we have done wrong, that we are struggling to receive because we don't want to admit that we're wrong. And so often the reason that we don't want to admit that we're wrong and we struggle with receiving forgiveness is because we have not fully realized just what you've done for us. You came and you died while we were still sinners. Your love for us is not contingent on what we do or don't do. You have already forgiven us. You have already forgiven Tucker Quist, who's 48 hours old and he is completely forgiven by the blood of the Lamb. It's been paid in full. And it's been paid in full for for you and me as well. And the more we can receive that, the more we can receive it as it's extended to us from others who have forgiven us for things that we still carry the guilt and shame for. And we need to do that because your word tells us that if we can receive forgiveness from you and if we can receive forgiveness from each other, then we will be even better at giving it out to those who need it as well. Because we all need to be forgiven. And for the Christian that's been forgiven by God, it's an opportunity for us that's so much more powerful than going door to door and handing out tracts and doing all kinds of crazy things like that. The kingdom of God is one in the hearts of individuals when we live with them and when we love them and when we extend forgiveness to them. Jesus, that's the way you want us as we prepare for communion 